Welcome to the Crystal Valley Casserole, a podcast where we introduce you to members of our ward. We are Chad and Kenny Smith. We are not professional podcasters. We record this at home. We have kids. And they are loud. And we like to eat dessert with our guests, so you might hear some noise occasionally. But we have some amazing people we want you to meet. So, without further ado... Pull up a seat and join us as we get to know some of the ingredients that make up the Crystal Valley casserole. We're here with Bishop and Sister Penrod. We're, I just want to say that we're really grateful to both of you for being willing to do this. Let's go ahead and have you guys just kind of start out giving a little bit of background history to your life. Sister Penrod, if you want to go ahead and start and tell us just where you grew up, tell us a little bit about your family, notable moments from growing up. Okay. So um, I was born in Arizona and grew up in the East Valley of Phoenix, so in the kind of suburbs. We moved from Mesa to Tempe to Queen Creek and back to Mesa. I don't think it was in that order, but <laughs> we kind of moved all over every few years. Um, my dad was a school teacher from Mesa Public Schools. He taught band, oh, cool. and everybody loved Mr. Webb. He was like <laughs> the favorite. Um, so I come from a yours, mine, and ours family, which makes me number 13 of 14. There were two big things that affected me as a a youth, I guess I was a teenager. Um, one, I was able to be in the Mesa Easter pageant. That's kind of a tradition that they do every year in Mesa. It's a huge production. It's like a week long, and they have thousands of people come. And the, you know, there's no spoken lines or anything. It's all pre-recorded, or at least it used to be. I don't know if it is still, but huh. it's all pre-recorded, and you just get up there and move your arms and oh, okay. act like you're speaking and stuff but um so I was able to be part of that and that it was about the life of Christ and that really um solidified my testimony in Jesus Christ and who he was and what he did for me um how old did you say you were when you did so I was um I did it for three years uh 14 15 and 16 and then um and then when I was 16 and 17 I started being a youth guide down at the visitor center, um, which was a kind of a pilot program they did for a while. Tim was part of it too, um, but we got to give tours around the gardens at the visitor center and the ultimate goal was to um, try and get referrals for the missionaries to come teach. And so we would talk about families and the Book of Mormon and um, Jesus Christ and, and bear our testimonies and then try and invite the missionaries to come visit with these people that we taught. And so I did that until I was 18 and that was an amazing experience. Taught me a lot of scriptures and Mm -hmm. gave me Uh a a real fun missionary experience to have when I was a kid. That's pretty um, unique, I think, for a teenager to have that kind of, it's almost like a mission. It really was a lot like a mission. I mean, we had we had like district leaders and zone leaders. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was it was set up a lot like a mission and um, and we set we would set goals like, you know, how many referrals are we gonna get tonight? The coolest part well not the coolest part, but one of the coolest parts of these um, tours was every summer we would get these massive monsoon storms in Arizona and um, they would come and you know sweep through the city and everything would be you'd see branches down and everything was wet and soaked but when these monsoon storms come we wouldn't get visitors at the visitor center so whenever there was one in the forecast or one on the way or even one in progress we would um we'd start our evening with a prayer that the monsoon would stop and it always did and it would always stop and we could look across the street at the park and it had a flag and the flag was whipping in the wind and the rain was pouring down across the street but on the temple grounds it was just dry and so when that would happen we would get visitors that would come in um and they'd be like why is, why is it not dry here we're like yeah, yeah 
we kind of have an end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was it was really cool faith promoting experience because um, we knew that Heavenly Father wanted us to do this missionary work, and He would stop monsoons for us. And they even did um, an article in the New Era about it because it was such a profound mm. thing that happened. Like a so, notice, yeah. notable event. Yeah, huh? that's yeah, cool. So. And. So that, yeah, that is really. Cool. I I don't know if I caught like what was the schedule like. Like you were doing that. Was it, it's not like a full time job. It was like once no, a week yeah, or like we what, go, what was the? We would go once a week. We had an assigned night. Okay, so you we were like on go, the schedule every yeah. week. You went and did so that. So we huh? would go from like seven to nine, I think it wow. was. And then cool. we had Sunday meetings. Um, and then, like, Tim was in the leadership, of course, because he always is, but <laughs> <laughs> he was in the leadership, and so he would go down more nights okay. than, um, yeah. than I would, but... Oh, that is really neat. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up, because when we were talking beforehand, I didn't really, like, prep this too much, but I just feel like those teenage years are so formative for your testimony, and I'm glad that you brought that up, that that was, like, really kind of yeah. gave you experiences that helped you form your testimony. Yeah, so. yeah it was That's great. really cool. What a cool experience. Let's go ahead and jump over to you, Bishop Penrod. Do you mind kind of doing the same thing? Give us some early days of Tim Penrod. Yeah. I also grew up in um, Arizona. Uh, Mesa is where I grew up. And uh, so we met when we were just going into our senior year of high school, basically, um, through seminary, <laughs> met that way. But um, yeah, in fact, I went a few places outside of Arizona. I remember going to St. George once as a family, and then like San Diego or Disneyland, Anaheim. You know, but aside from that, pretty much before my mission was just mostly Arizona. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm the oldest of seven kids. My parents both grew up in Mesa as well, so I have a huge family in the Phoenix area. Like my life growing up was mostly cousins, like relatives. Yeah. Like we, once I got married and realized how much my mom went over to her parents' house as a married woman with children, I was kind of amazed because yeah. I felt like I was there every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, not not during the school year, but every weekend during the school year and. Yeah, the summer we'd go to her mom's house just about daily. How far did you live from your grandparents? Mm, it was probably fifteen minute drive or so. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I had like eighty first cousins who lived in the Phoenix oh, area. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and almost all of those were on my mom's side of the family. My dad's side of the family was pretty small, and uh, my mom's side of the family goes back generations and generations within the church and my dad's side goes back only a few generations through some of its lines so very different but they both lived there in mm -hmm. mesa my grandparents lived three minutes apart <laughs> maybe by car they're really close mm -hmm. together and yeah. very very different people um but so extended family well I, even my siblings like they, they were my best friends growing up, uh, mm -hmm. my, my siblings and my cousins, basically. Got to know both sets of grandparents really well, would go on trips with just the grandparents or, you know, the, the cousins my age and grandparents would go. That my, my maternal grandparents owned a cabin in Pine, Arizona, which is near Payson, about an hour, hour and a half from north of, of Phoenix. And so that was kind of... If we were going to go out of town somewhere, that's usually where everybody went, was up to that cabin. And uh, so that was a big part of my life. I uh, was pretty sheltered probably as a kid. Like we lived in a quiet neighborhood in, in Mesa, but my mom was afraid for me to ride my bike down to the church, which on a bike was just five minutes at most away from my house <laughs> and I was an older teenager and she still was <laughs> she worries about everything my mom is I don't think she's driven on a, a freeway since uh, right after she got her driver's license like she's so anxious uh -huh. about things but then I went to Atlanta on my mission and I'd write home about <laughs> seeing people with guns and hearing like all the like lived at some kind of um, 
dangerous parts of town sometimes, and um, I wonder, she never said anything about that, but I wonder <laughs> between that or what, the one time she did do something, I, I said, there's this natural gas leak or something because it smells so strong in here, and of course, back then, it's all mail, like letters, so I wrote yeah. home, and... And the mission president called like a week later. <laughs> He's like, I understand you have a... And we did, I guess. But I didn't know what that meant. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was dangerous. And so, uh, but the other stuff, she never said anything about. I hope you're safe or I'm worried. But it must, I bet it really must have stressed her out to hear some of those stories. Yeah. Well, and I'm pretty interested. So you have seven kids in your family. Mm-hmm. Um... That sounds stressful for a mother who's like, you know, very, but like, I don't know. Did you, do you guys feel like, uh, you were ever pushing the boundaries there? Like doing crazy stuff that made her really uneasy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine, uh, a, you know, a bunch of kids not doing some things that are, you know, kind of crazy that yeah. maybe stressed her out a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. And we're of course all different personalities, the, the different kids, but, and, and all were very close with each other. We did a lot of playing board games, card games, those kind of things as kids. Uh, um, But yeah, my, I think I was probably the easier one to raise my brother. Until we started dating. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. We'll get get to that. (laughs) My brother. So the third one in the birth order, he, um, he, I mean, he never got into really bad stuff or anything, but it just was always pushing boundaries yeah, okay. and um that stressed my mom out a lot um you know we would do things like, i re- remember my parents bought this set of cutco knives which were supposed to be the yeah. my dad actually sold them once for a side job but um you know they cut a, a, what a penny in half or a shoe or something like that <laughs> they're supposed to be amazing yeah. they were my parents were out on a date or something one time and they came home and my brother and i had pulled out the biggest knives <laughs> and we're like having a sword fight with them and uh you know cut, cut up cut up the furniture with it like but i remember doing it too i don't know how old i was but i didn't think i was doing anything wrong i thought we were just having fun testing out the knives yeah so you know some of that kind of stuff but nothing nothing too big i just i imagine raising seven kids is yeah. stressful in and of Hard itself for anybody yeah probably well i'm really glad that story came up because that is kind of like one of those things that i really want to get out of this podcast mm-hmm. is just like some insights into parenting and that makes me think like if you were old enough to remember cutting up furniture with a knife, but not realizing that that was an issue. Like that gives me some perspective for my own kids, right? Like yeah. you got to just realize that kids, you know, like I get mad at them about things that they probably have no idea is a problem, right? right. So it gives me some perspective oh, no, on I'm how to handle those situations. There's so much you just don't realize when you're yeah. a kid. Like I'm sure you talked about my mom was pretty anxious, but pretty sure she went through periods of depression because I remember there being stacks of stuff everywhere in our house like every room was Mm -hmm. so messy and like I don't even know what it was toys all sorts of stuff just piled up hard to see the floor sometimes when I worked for child protective services later in life as an adult Mm -hmm. and I realized some of the investigations that would happen for that a bit like we didn't have dangerous stuff out like yeah like they would deal with but it's like wow that you know Raising those kids and not being able to just stay on top of everything. And yeah. my grandma would come over and start cleaning. And my mom would be like, leave it alone. Don't clean uh-huh. it up. And she, my grandma would pay us. if She would like, if you come clean your floor every day, I'll give you a quarter. Uh-huh. And uh, so I wonder now, I didn't know enough then to realize, but I wonder how, whether my mom appreciated that or didn't like that, you know, for her to yeah. get involved in that kind of way. Um but also interesting, like what I think you, you might be saying as well is like, could be a sign of something that you didn't realize you had no clue no, about no. as a kid, but looking back later, like, Oh, maybe there was like some signs of something else. No, I never it. thought of my mom as yeah. depressed or anything right. like that. Yeah. I just thought normal life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I think too, you know, this is skipping ahead a little bit to adult life, but I think, I think that's part of the model of life is like, we're so innocent as children and then we go through the wilderness as we're like becoming adults. And as kids, you think like, oh, 
nobody else has gone through this, but as you're going through life, going through all these hard things, and then when you start to realize like, oh wait, my parents did struggle the same way I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. To me, that's really helpful to realize like, this is what life is about, uh, right? Yeah. Like this is I also think how life looks. it makes me think everybody's pretty self-absorbed really like everybody's pretty absorbed in what they have going on and it's actually kind of a relief to think about kids that way sometimes because I think as parents we put so much pressure on ourselves to curate this perfect growing up experience for them Um, but if you realize that for kids they probably are just (laughs) going you know it just is what they know normal is is their life and so Um, maybe with the perspective as an adult, you can look back and say, oh, wow, my mom was struggling, but, um, they're probably just, Mm. they're more resilient than we probably realize and just enjoying life. Yeah. So before we move on, I wanted to go back to one thing that I, I failed to snag, but your dad was the music teacher. So I'm curious about how that translated in the home. I, I always like, I think in movies, that portray like the high school band teacher. There's like music instruments all yeah. over the house. Was that? Was My that mom your... would have loved it that way. Mm-hmm. She loved. She loved listening to music. She wasn't terribly musical herself, um, but so it was just the three of us usually in the house um, growing up. So. My brother was like first chair trumpet and he, he was really great at trumpet and piano. He could, you know, do the, um, the entertainer, is that what it's called? Like he could just play that. He was really good at piano. And my sister has a voice of an angel and she's amazing and stuff. And it totally skipped over me. (laughs) Like I, I just, I can appreciate music I like music but I remember one time we were making a video some sort of I don't know what it was one of my mom's projects she always had something going on but it was a video and my brother was singing and doing some music stuff and my sister was singing and doing some music stuff and my mom was like oh you guys are so great and Kathy you're a good cheerleader (laughs) (laughs) so So not everybody gets it not everybody gets it yeah so was that hard for you, or um, yeah. I'm sure you just developed other yeah I talents? Just, I mean, I can carry a tune, um, but I yeah, I just it didn't bother me so much. Like I just was kind of in my own little world, and you should no. talk about playing the piano at my mission oh, farewell. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> so I I took piano for a while until I convinced my mom that there was no chance anywhere at all that I'd ever want to play and so I'm not and I just I just bugged her so much she finally gave in and said okay fine no more piano lessons yeah well so I had I I know the notes on the piano you know I can tell you that but um I'm not a pianist at all um well Tim was like you know how to play piano you can play the song for my mission farewell and I'm like I can't he's like you know you can do it just practice and because I was love stricken and would do anything for him I said okay and so I practiced and practiced and practiced this hymn I don't even remember what it was I I tried so was it hard. one song it was one song okay. and you were accompanying somebody was singing it wasn't like a yeah. solo okay so it was a special got, musical it was number. A special or... musical number, and I got up there and I froze and I pushed the same note over and over and over. Like I don't know, I don't know why. She really did. <laughs> I, it's just like I couldn't know. I I just couldn't remember anything I practiced. But even the in the practice, I wasn't doing great. But to get up there and try and accompany someone with the nerves, yeah. And, and so yeah. I I literally just pushed the same note. Wow. So it was terribly embarrassing. Did the person keep singing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they did. For they, I think they did fine. I all I could think of was I'm blowing this. So oh, that yeah. is that makes me stressed for you. I've had a couple moments like that where you just get up in front of people and you kind of blank. Yeah. yeah. Was it memorized? Like you didn't have the sheet music in no, front of you? Oh, you I, did. You I just did. couldn't get to the. I you couldn't get there. I couldn't connect the dots. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I think we can well, all relate to that in some uh, way. All right. Well, let's get to the love story. So you guys have already kind of alluded to you know being the like helping out of the visitor center or whatever together. 
and knowing each other in high school, but let's like get get to the beginning. Let's... So um, in Arizona, I think it's this way in Utah too, I'm not sure, but they have release time seminary. Um, and probably other places they have release time seminary. But um, where we were at, they had release time seminary and they would have a seminary council, which was a group of kids that was kind of like a student council over the seminary kids. So, and it was a stake calling. So Tim and I both got called to be on this seminary council and that's how we met. Um, and we had a common friend that we used a lot to convey messages for a while. Like, go find out this and go check on this. And we got assigned to the same committee where like they had us do recruiting where we'd go to people who weren't signed up for seminary and we'd try and talk them into it. And so Tim and I and one other person, was one other person got, were on the same committee. So yeah. we spent a, spent a lot of time in the summer together, even though there's three of us, um, we spent a lot of time together going around and talking to people in, to do seminary. And um, so we really got to be friends that way and got to be really good friends, um, but still couldn't really talk about the part that was like, <laughs> I like you, you like me, you know, that kind of right, thing. Right, yeah, so, the awkward teenage love. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. so good. it took a while. But How long were you friends then before you established that you liked each you other? You know, at the time it seemed like forever, but I think it was only like, yeah. A month or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's so awkward that it feels like forever, right? Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah, just a month or two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, we started dating and um, Tim's parents they were the they're like he's already mentioned, they're very protective and and he was the oldest and they were really worried about us dating. <laughs> and it, now that I'm a parent, I I can see yeah. you know you don't you don't want your kid dating seriously in high school. That that's I would never recommend it yeah. because it's not not a doesn't necessarily help them with their goals. All right, the time. right, and so they're really worried that Tim wouldn't go on a mission or you know something like that. So they um, made a rule that um, he could only go out with me if he dated someone in between. Yeah. So my friends were great, and they would line up, and he would ask them out, and then, um, and then he would take me out, and then he'd ask one of them out. But then they realized that's too easy, so then they said, he can't go on a date with me unless I date someone in between. Uh-huh. And so, um, so his friends lined up, and would ask me out, and we'd like, go to Subway for lunch, so I'd count as a date, and then he'd take me out. And so... That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Helpful friends. Good friends. They yeah. were really good friends. And I, I don't know how many people. And nobody else, like, there was no other, like, conflicting love interest with the friends. Like, none yeah. of your friends. No. Oh, no. that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, you looked out there. Yeah, so they, they were all really helpful. And we, I mean, oh, it cool. takes a community, right? Yeah, It takes a village. Sure. So, uh, that led to lots of arguments about what is a date and what's not a date. Yeah. Because when it was with her, my parents would be like, well, you're in the same school class together, so that was a date. <laughs> and... <laughs> or you talked on the phone for an hour. So that's a date. Yeah. Parents are doing yeah, everything like, well, to thwart this. There were also 30 other people in the school class, so that's 30 dates. Then if you're going to count the school class. <laughs> we had a lot of that. But they they uh, thought Kathy was really assertive. And um, I say was because she doesn't seem quite as assertive anymore these days. <laughs> but she was assertive, and my mom was so, like girls don't call boys and mm, girls don't okay. ask boys out on dates and I all that. I didn't ask you, you asked me. No, I know, but just that, anything like that. And we, when we were married later, we went to Disneyland as a family and Kathy went, she became like my mom's hero because she asked for a map, at, like went to the customer service thing and said, can I have a map? My mom thought that was like the bravest thing ever. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's what everybody does. But... So my mom's standard for like judging assertiveness was a little bit skewed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that led to lots of interesting times throughout yeah. that year, year and a half. Okay. I think it was just because so, Tim was the oldest, and 
they were overprotective. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah that's why I said don't know my brother to... came along. If he was four years younger than me. Then they real they even said later like, wow, if we had had clay first, we'd have thought you were so easy. You yeah. Know, yeah. All that, but well, with him, I. My mom would dress up in disguises and go down to his junior high and spy on him to see what he was doing with the girls. Like, better not be alone with a girl. She really did. That is clever. Yeah. A good, yeah, we were That's looking for good. parenting techniques here, gonna, for, for tips and tricks. And yeah, that one way, yeah. He wouldn't stop seeing this one girl, like meeting this one girl, and so she went to one of his junior high basketball games with bandages all over her face and like she was trying to embarrass him uh, in front of that girl that she knew would be there watching. Oh my goodness. So So I guess I had it easy. That's hilarious. Uh, Okay, so uh, what year was that in high school? I can't remember if you guys already talked about that. Summer before our senior year. Summer before senior year. Okay, good. And then so um, after high school... So... Back then, it was still 19. Was it 19 was the age? So there's a gap there. Did you guys go to college? Were you still there in Mesa? What was that year? Yeah, I mean, I I went to... It was Rick's then. I went to Rick's for the summer. And then um, I went to live with... My my parents moved to Orem. So I went to live with them in Orem. Um, And then after a little while, then I went back to Mesa because that's where Tim still was. And I just was more comfortable there. So I went back to Mesa and went to community college and he had been going to community college. And so we, we, uh, were able to be together a little bit before his mission and stuff. Did you guys keep in contact while you were at Rick's and in Orem? Yeah. Were you dating other people? She was not me. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. And I was so shy as a teenager, like, (laughs) It was a good thing she was assertive because mm-hmm. I was good just, but she talked about a friend of our mutual friend that helped encourage us, you know, along communicating initially yeah. and stuff. Like I just, like I still to this day through all my years of being a teenager, I think I maybe asked two girls to dance with me in my life. Uh-huh. Like at all these church dances uh-huh. I went to, <laughs> I just go stand there and, yeah. and I think nobody wants to dance with me, you know, or, or too scared to ask somebody. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So no, I didn't do a lot of dating during that time. Okay. <laughs> and I just stayed in Mesa that whole time working, going to college, getting ready for my mission. Yeah. But she pulled you out of your shell. Yeah. Like... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I th- in a lot of ways, that's that's really true. I think I, I I remember telling myself as a younger teen, like the way to not be disappointed with life is just don't ever let yourself feel anything. I just shut it all down and don't be excited about anything. Don't be sad about anything. And that's kind of how I was. And so meeting Kathy, who was very expressive and emotional and all of that, um, and someone I could talk to, uh, about anything it felt like you know was made a big difference in, in my life like um, I, I, I'm not, I don't have enough perspective to know if my parents saw that or that translated into other settings or not but um, mm-hmm. definitely helped me be a better missionary I think because I was not carrying around all this stuff you know stuffed inside of me that I yeah. couldn't talk about so oh, I love that what a gift <laughs> That's really great. I don't know if I gave her any gift. But that was her gift to me. <laughs> well, I'm wondering. Calm me down a little yeah. bit. <laughs> so yeah, let's we'll we'll kind of skip through some of the next stuff so we can get to some of those like more important gospel life questions. But I do kind of wonder. Let's kind of get into like married life career. So you served your mission. Mm-hmm. Um, you got home from your mission and the relationship picked right back up where it was at or what what was the post-mission marriage story it was it was fast um so we he got home and we got engaged four days later okay so So, what (laughs) four days later it was four days there's a different side (laughs) of the story well she was in utah at byu um, yeah. And I went home to Mesa. 
Yeah, so, and then... And I remember school was starting, so I only was home for two or three days. Yeah, school was starting two days after you got home from your mission. So, you were home for like a day and a half, then you came, and your mom was like, don't get engaged. And so, we were talking about why, why would she say don't get engaged, and it started a conversation... It, and we got engaged. Like, <laughs> on the spot. Yeah, kind of. It was... Sort of. Engaged. It, it, yes, Un- but... Unofficially. Well, no, I didn't yeah. have like a ring or anything yeah, like that. Okay. still engaged. Yeah, if okay. If you ask me and I say yes, that's called engaged. And yeah. it, makes, it makes a better story to say four days anyway. Yeah. So I like that's it. was four days. Wow. Okay. I remember it being real short being at home before I left to Utah, but I don't, don't remember it being that fast once I got there. Yeah, it was. So the more, but basically, like, there was no, like, questioning or, you know, are we going to keep on dating after your mission? It was like, you guys. Oh, on the, yeah. on the way home from my mission, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know if she would be in Mesa or oh, in okay. Utah or if she would come and say, here's my fiance or like, oh, I, wow. I had okay. no idea. Yeah. I had actually gone to Mesa so that I could see him when he got home and his mom I think she called me and told me she didn't want me there so I went back to Utah so he didn't know if I was going to be there in Mesa or anyway so I had given him this shirt and I'm like if you wear this shirt to the air like when we pick you up from the airport then I'll know that you still want to date like it was supposed to be this code yeah his mom lost it <laughs> lost, lost in parentheses, it in parentheses. Right. yeah she yeah. lost it so he so he didn't so wear the shirt <laughs> i showed up to the airport flying home and uh, she wasn't there uh, and then i showed up in utah without the shirt and uh, so i'm uh, they got both sides of it like going to utah i had no idea <laughs> what was going on because we still wrote toward the end of my mission but not about any interesting like not like we're gonna get married or anything like that so yeah. um uh. yeah it was it was interesting times but it I, it didn't take very long of being back together obviously yeah before it kind of picked back up and um to me that was really the just because of, we weren't new to each other like there was a foundation yeah. we had spent more than half of, well yeah more than half the time we knew each other apart so communicating just through letters or phone calls and things like that. Yeah. And, yeah. So it, it was, uh, it didn't feel like being with a stranger and even get, we got married that December. So a few months after we got engaged, what, four months or something after we got engaged, but I've never felt like it was too fast. Like I've never mm-hmm. felt like I, we didn't know each other well enough or anything yeah. like that. I mean, there's other challenges with meeting as teenagers and getting married and that factor into ongoing marriage and stuff, mm-hmm. I think, but I, I never, I never regretted that being so soon. Like it just yeah. felt like ready for the next stage of life, you know, yeah. definitely no, like communicating with each other when you're not in physical proximity definitely does a lot to make sure that you know each other well and i think that helps relationships cammy and i did a long distance for a long time as well so yeah, and there's there's some there's some you, you got to know that you can stand each other when you're around each other but also it's really good to know that you can <laughs> right. communicate and have some interests when you're not dealing with the physical uh closeness there yeah, yeah. Okay. okay well we want to make sure that we yeah. respect your time today because um i don't know if you said this but bishop's going to be traveling today yeah. Um, so I want to talk with you guys a little bit just about, um, some of your experiences in the gospel. Um, and one of the questions we had for you was kind of just, as you look at your life up to this point, is there a specific time that stands out where you really felt like you were fulfilling your mission or your calling in life? Has there been anything like that? That was an interesting question. And I, I've been thinking about that. And I think for me, it kind of comes and goes. Like, yeah. I'll have times where I feel like, yeah, I'm on the, I'm doing the right thing. This is what I'm meant to do. <laughs> and then other times where I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm just spinning wheels, you know? And so um, I think definitely one of those times for me was... Um, being in that tour guide program down at the visitor center when I was young. I think um, I've had times, you know, as adults, there is um, one of the, when 
when we bought our first house, the ward that we were in there, I felt like um, I was really, you know, part of part of moving the gospel along, and I and I felt really, um, I guess, tuned into what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but there's times it just kind of fluctuates, you know, sometimes where I feel like, yeah, this is, this is good. I'm doing the right thing. And other times I just wonder. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's good to recognize though, right? Like every time I read or hear people that talk about like, oh, I did, like I'm fulfilling my life mission or whatever, it just feels like, wow, like you, you get the idea that they feel like that all the time yeah. and that's probably not true, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's really good to realize that that's part of life is like yeah. sometimes we spin our wheels and every now and then we get these glimpses of like, this is, you know, yeah. what, what my life is all about. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. It's the same for me. I, I would say as a missionary, a full-time missionary, I felt that whole time like I was fulfilling where I was supposed to be. Like I just didn't ever doubt that it was hard and there were times that felt long and challenging but I can say for that whole two years I just always knew I was doing what I was supposed to do I was in the right place and, and all of that outside of that I would say just yeah. like Kathy said it's in phases like parts of, of life as a parent I, I, I can picture good times where everything seemed calm and nice and it's mm -hmm. like being with my kids this is the most important thing and it feels good to be in this part of life and then other times where it feels like we're losing all our kids, like we can't, or we can't handle all these kids, or yeah. what are they gonna, yeah. the fear sets in, and then you question, are you being the parent you're supposed to be, and yeah. feel bad for your kids, you know, yeah. having me as a parent, and you know, so it does go in waves, and for me with even church callings, that's the case, I, as the Elders Quorum president, I, I remember going around and visiting most of the families in the ward at Christmas time, and that, you know, and that's a busy time of year, but yeah. I just felt, I remember talking to the elders corn presidency, I just felt like we needed to do that. And that's not my natural personality is just try to go to everybody's house and show up, you know, some were planned, some were just stopped by and give a gift and sing a song and took a guitar along and that kind of thing. And to some of them and, but I remember though, even though it was so busy, it was like every single night and weekend um, for the whole Christmas season in order to get to a hundred different houses or whatever. But I felt I, that's the happiest I think I've ever felt during the Christmas season, mm -hmm. even though it was that busy. So, and I felt like I'm doing, I felt an impression of what I'm supposed to do and I'm doing it. And that always feels good to do. Mm -hmm. But there were other times being elders corn president where I felt like I was the worst elders corn president in the world. Like mm -hmm. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I can't balance all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I felt that way in every calling I think I've ever had. Um, and, uh, it goes in, in waves, I think, just yeah. like Kathy said. Yeah. I appreciate you guys sharing that. I think that's a really good good perspective because I can relate to that as well. Not always feeling so sure of myself that I'm doing things right. Um, but then you do kind of get those little moments where, um, things fall into place and things feel really nice with your family or whatever it is that you're doing in life. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear, hear your guys' answers to that. And I'm sure you fulfill your mission in lots of ways big and small, you know, I'm thinking about how Kathy is one of my ministering sisters and um, that's probably not the most salient role that you have in your life that you think is like the most important. Um, but you do probably a lot of things like that for people and fulfill your mission that way, doing things for people that, you know, may not rank really high on your list, but they're meaningful. Yeah. I think that's a good point in ministering in general or serving in general people aren't trying to analyze if you're the perfect whatever, perfect ministering person. Right. Like, they think of the moments when you do do what you do, you know? and mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Rather than thinking you're the worst, <laughs> you know, you're the worst ministering person or you're the worst neighbor or whatever. Like, we, we yeah. put a lot of that pressure on ourselves, I think. And, yeah. Um, to other people, it's, they appreciate just the interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to hear... As well, this was kind of a question that we um, had on the list, but we were curious if you guys had any tips or just bits of wisdom that you've learned in your life about 
marriage or parenting, family life in general, what wisdom could you share with us? We were hoping you could share some with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I've tried to do, and I and it's with particular children, it's come harder than others, but I tried to um, pick my battles. Um, not everything is important enough to argue about. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I had, and this was my fault mostly, but I had a very um, contentious relationship with my mom. And I don't, I don't want that with my kids. And so I consciously um, chose a lot of times, I'm not gonna fight about this. It's just on the scale of important things, this just isn't gonna be one of the things, you know? So, you know, whether it was practicing piano or um, putting your shoes away or, you know, not that I wouldn't encourage them, but they're just, I'm not gonna fight about it. And, you know, we had, everyone has their parenting 505 child, you know, that, <laughs> that's a little difficult. And, and for us, that, that child, it was harder not to, not to have those arguments with. But, um, but that was one thing that I've tried, and I guess the jury's still out to see if it's helped my kids or not. But um, that's, that's one thing I would say is just pick your battles. Not everything is worth an argument. Even, I mean, even if you think it is, like if you think about in 10 years or if this child were to die or if, you know, something like that, is that really going to be something you care that much about, mm-hmm. you know? And so. Yeah, are you really going to have a deep regret that they didn't establish the habit of putting their shoes away or right. something? <laughs> right. Maybe not. <laughs> for me, for marriage, I would say. And, and again, we started dating when we were 16, so we've had a relationship since teenage years, and I think we were very, like, very much idealized what marriage was and relationships were. When you're a teenager and you feel like you're in love, you you think those, you know, those chemical-related feelings you have are never going to go away, so you'll You can married. conquer the world. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do it together, and we'll... And, and we'll never have moments where we don't feel this constant high of, you know, romance yeah. and love. And so that's just one example, but there's a ton of examples of picturing when you walk into our home that we'll have someday, the spirit will just overwhelm you because there's, you know, or <laughs> every time we look at each other, everyone around us will know how in love we are. And I mean, we must have had a hundred of those different kind of things that we wrote in letters or that we talked we about. We had a lot of years to... And what I, what I realized is there's a lot of that stuff that can kind of set up a trap, um, both for the relationship, like expectations about the relationship, but it gets easy to try to worry about what the other person does with their self or with their life. Mm -hmm. And that's just a recipe for disaster. You can't try to change your spouse into some idealized thing that you think they should be. It's enough work to just work on yourself. And, uh, so I had to learn to, to, let go of that part and say, what must it be like to be married to me, you know, and what could I change about that instead of, hey, you just did this and that wasn't like we thought it would be. Um, There's just so much opportunity for that. And I think adversity can really come in quickly if you open that door. Like, let me think of all the things, you know, you can make a little journal of everything nice your spouse does that you appreciate. Or you can make a journal of everything bad they do that irritates you. (laughs) And uh, sometimes the only difference is that perspective. You know, we're in love and we're dating and our parents are worried about things. When we argue with our parents during that phase, we're telling them all the good things about the person. You know, they're not, they're not cheap, they're frugal, or they're they're assertive (laughs) instead of uh, angry or, or whatever. And then... You can get in a relationship, a few years pass, and pretty soon you're saying the same things your parent was saying about their concern about the relationship. You can see either side of any issue in a person, uh, good or bad, and and that's our own responsibility. And so I would say that's probably that's probably the biggest marriage-related lesson I feel like I've taken away. And going along with that, too, I think because, you know, like everything in life, it fluctuates, you know, where, you know, we, 
when we were dating and first married, you know, all those feelings are just so intense and you're, you know, up here and in the sky and you're just feeling amazing and and then reality hits and you you have babies and you don't get sleep and you know stuff doesn't work out the way you want and you hit hard times and so then it you kind of sink down a little bit and it goes up and down and I think um, the biggest thing is um, along with what Tim said is you've got to be more committed than you are in love because love love is is fabulous and that's what gets you to where you're at but when you have real life in front of you it's a commitment that's going to see you through it because love can turn into anger and hate if you, if you allow it and so you've got to have that commitment that um that you're going to see this through and and you have to have that perspective that you know relationships ebb and flow and you know sometimes they're going to be fantastic and sometimes they might be subpar and you just got to keep working on it and and make it the way you want but be patient with yourself and be committed to that relationship i love that that was great i love both of those ideas so uh how did you phrase that Com- uh, more committed, more committed than, than in love yeah, I love that. That's great. Wouldn't that make a great romantic song? That would. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love you, but now I'm committed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay, I think we have. A, do we have time for a couple more questions? Sure. You guys have a few more minutes. Um, we wanted to hear about how you guys have come through trials in your life. And if there's been a time that you wanted to share that, um, that you were able to kind of come through a wilderness or a trial in your life. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of them, big and small, but the, the one I go to most naturally, I think, is um, I rem- we were married and had a few kids. I it, just graduated from BYU. Um, my degree was in family studies, family science, they called it back then. And um, I didn't really know enough about the world to know I could do anything with that bachelor's degree. I, my real interest is I wanted to be a seminary teacher. And so I did the program at BYU for seminary teaching. And they tell you there, you're probably not going to do this as a CES employee full-time career. Um, but it will help you be a better teacher in your church calling. It'll help you be a better parent, etc. And think of these classes as that. I made it through that and got placed for student teaching for a year in in Arizona. And so we moved there when I graduated. And during that year, I taught a couple of classes seminary, worked at Taco Bell as a janitor, and delivered newspapers in the middle of the night. You know, an auto route where you go through the papers. So those three jobs. Um, for a year and then at the end of the year they announce how many people they're hiring into the CES system and you can do it for up to three years um, to, to try and see if you get in and mm-hmm. at the end of a year um, I was looking at it not just as what I thought I wanted to do but like compared to working at Taco Bell and delivering newspapers it felt <laughs> like a job with benefits and security and that kind of a thing and so the year ended and they, they hired something like 30 people uh, nationwide in the whole CES system that year. And sometimes it's hundreds, sometimes it's 10. You just never know. And and I didn't get hired and I just, it just felt like starting over, like yeah. in life. What else, like, what, what's plan B at that point? Yeah, yeah, like do I do this another year? What if they hire nobody next year? What if I'm not yeah. meant to do this or good enough at doing this? And why, it, isn't it a righteous desire to want to teach the gospel as your life, you know, and all of that kind of a thing. And my advisor, I guess you'd call it the CES guy that was in charge of all the student teaching people. um, I remember meeting with him and he he said, you've got a degree in, in, you know, from BYU and you can do this another year if you want, but who knows what will happen. My advice to you is go to graduate school like drop out of this and go to graduate school and it was interesting because I look back at it and I think I could have taken offense like he was trying to tell me you're never going to make this you're not a good teacher or he could have just really felt inspired to say a hard thing like to move on and and do this Mm -hmm. but 
ultimately that's what I did. And, and because it was graduate school, I had to go find more jobs to work at. And, um, but that really ended up being life changing for me because it, not just getting the, the master's degree in counseling, but, um, I did find jobs I could do with a bachelor's degree that were in my field that I didn't know about that, um, people just happened to recommend and, and, uh, you know, started the first business that I ever did, which was like a, a big failure. But, um, all of these things had I gone another route, I think I would have been happy doing seminary teaching. Um, but you do that and that's pretty much what you do the rest of your career. Um, and so just a whole lot of things that have happened in my life and a lot of flexibility and freedom and stuff like that. I don't think I would have had the same way, but I definitely, when I got the news, you're not being hired on this and you don't have a full-time job with benefits still and you've got little kids. I definitely didn't see the Lord's hand in that, you know, it felt yeah. like a rejection, like, uh, um, either I'm not good enough or why isn't this working the way it should work and very little hope, you know, for there's some promising path ahead. Um, that was just as far as emotional, personal, I'm not, how am I going to be a good father, husband, any of that provider, um, was a really hard time and, and just looking for an initial job after that, um, you know, it was tough and, um, I, I can clearly see now how that was wise and I'm grateful for that advisor who said move on go to graduate school yeah. but um, but it was a tough wilderness moment for me uh, it was really tough well and it's interesting because um, like now looking back I can see I'm sure Tim can but I can see how the Lord just took us from this spot to that spot to this spot and without without this you know, he wouldn't have gone to work for CPS. Um, he wouldn't have, and because he was working for CPS, he got put on this um, committee to, the state of Arizona was being sued because their um, mental health system was so bad. And he got put on this committee or whatever to help resolve that lawsuit. Um, and because of that, he realized wow, we, we really have a need for these services of mental health in our state. I'm going to start that business. And so then he decided to start that business, providing all these services that were lacking. And he was the first one of its kind in Arizona. Yeah. And um, because of that, you know, then he was able to grow this business to be statewide. And now there's other companies that do the same mm -hmm. thing and stuff. But the Lord really took us from that broken time and just took us here and that led to here and that led to here. And, and it's really, you know, looking back decades now, seeing, seeing how it worked out, you know, it doesn't seem like it was that much of a wilderness. But at the time, yeah. I remember being sick and thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Yeah, sure. So... That's what I always am amazed by and just want to emphasize with you and with this podcast is like, I've heard so many stories that people say like, oh, it was a really hard time, but we got through it with faith. But I've been in those times so many times and it's just so much harder than you think when you're the one passing through it. And yeah, it always seems easier uh, looking back with the perspective, easier, but I'm sure yeah. in the moment it felt really yeah. daunting and discouraging yeah trying to figure out what and to do i next. always whenever we hit these wilderness things whenever i do i always feel like i'm stumbling yeah. and like if you're to compare it to walking through a desert like i'm just stumbling from oasis to oasis <laughs> that i don't know how i'm getting there but somehow it's it's happening um and it isn't until i look back that i see oh okay that's yeah. that's how it happened because when I'm in the moment I don't know how it's happening I'm just I you know I'm just trying to deep Survival breathe mode, and, right? yeah, yeah and trying to get yeah. through but then looking back then it's easier to see oh okay yeah that's how it happened okay I I lied there's two more questions okay what's one thing that you love the most about the gospel of Jesus Christ for me, um, it's safety and security that I feel being within the gospel um, when there's so much um, commotion going on around us. Um, and even when I watch my loved ones leave the church 
and I come back to um, the gospel and my covenants and my savior and I feel comfortable and I feel safe and and I know that's that's not necessarily physical safety it's it's a spiritual safety and and that's that's where I want to be is in in that safety and so that's probably the big one for me thank you I love that I was just I was talking to President Anderson our state president this week for PPI and he said a comment that President Lindsay also said um, he's the one that called me to be a bishop or extended the calling him. Um, and he said, think of all the members of your ward. Like if you looked at and you could see every family in your ward, can you name one family that doesn't have really hard things going on or has had really hard things going on? And I can't, like, I, I was sitting there this last Sunday looking out at the congregation at church and thinking, I know this about, and I know I don't know anywhere near everything that's happening in everybody's lives, but every family has very, very difficult things. And, and then President Anderson said, and the Savior knows exactly how every one of them feels. Like, you don't know how it feels. I don't know how it feels completely. But he understands in a literal way. No one else has actually experienced the feeling that person's having except him. And isn't that comforting to know you don't have to have all those answers because he has those answers. Just direct them to him. And um, that to me was really powerful that um, um, <laughs> nobody has the perfect ideal life. Everybody has trials. Everybody has super hard things going on and they're all different. Um, and... I love that at the end of the day, we, we have some very talented, skilled people in the church, great speakers, great teachers, great at all sorts of stuff. A lot of that helps the church run and operate sometimes as people use their talents in those ways. But at the end of the day, it's not about us at all and what we can do at all. You know, we, when we rely on our own efforts, we, we get very minimal results. And um, so helping each other turn towards the Savior, I think, is uh, the most comforting part of that to me, uh, and in my own trials that he knows. And, and it, you know, if I think I can, I can believe in one of my kids who's struggling and still love them just despite anything they do, imagine how he must, he must feel towards us um, to know um, with whatever brain chemistry we have, whatever emotional limitations we have, we're doing our best to live the life that we can and trying. And he knows that too, not just how the pain feels, but knows what it's like to have an imperfect mind an imperfect body and, and be trying day to day. And that gives me a lot of comfort. Yeah, I appreciate that. It actually reminds me of something that you shared. I don't remember when it was in the last few months um, in sacrament meeting, you just uh, said, when you think about people who are not active in the church or for whatever reason have chosen another path, um, that one of the thoughts you have about it is, if this person felt the way that I do, then I believe they would be here. Yeah. And I love that. I feel like it kind of goes along with it. Really the only person who knows how everybody is feeling and truly what they're experiencing is the savior. Yeah. And I've, I, I appreciated that thought that you shared. Um, okay. We wanted to close today with a question. So this podcast is called the crystal Valley casserole. And a casserole is a dish, as we all know, that integrates lots of different ingredients to make one yummy thing to eat. So um, if our ward is a casserole, we want to know what special ingredients each of you feel you bring to our ward casserole. Well, for me, it's not what I bring, but what I won't bring. And <laughs> I won't talk like bad that. about you. Oh, and that's so that's, that's what... I guess I I won't bring to the Lord as I I won't talk bad about you. So well, I'm so glad glad to know that that makes me more comfortable around you already. <laughs> <laughs> Big relief. Yeah, 
I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Cassie. And something you worked to culti- cultivate yeah. in your life, right? Yeah, I had, um, when I was a teenager in, in Laurels, they called it Laurels then, um, there was a girl that I really looked up to, and and the Laurels had started gossiping about someone in the in the group and I joined in and I was gossiping and this this girl I looked up to she just like you know you know what I love about her and she said something good about her and I thought I want to be like that and so I remember at one time I had a rubber band on my wrist that I'd flick anytime I'd say something bad about somebody and so I I really had to work at it for a while because it, I mean, kind of it's natural to gossip. You conditioned yourself. Well, it takes a lot of discipline, I think, to refrain from that when other people are, um, are participating in that. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that principle because I, you know, I thought when we were going to do this question about what do you bring, what's your, what's your flavor that you bring to the ward? I think it's so easy to just think of like what you're naturally good at, but this is a great example of something that you've really worked at and I appreciate that's something that you shared yeah how about you bishop for me i you know my natural personality even though the work i do is dealing with people a lot my natural personality is to just hide in the background and not be in the spotlight mm-hmm. that's what i feel most comfortable with uh, if i'm not teaching a lesson this is true in school too if i'm not teaching or in charge i'll just sit in the back and not say a single word like i won't answer any questions or contribute a story uh, or anything like that. So it's not comfortable for me to be someone who's um, leading or in the spotlight or anything like that. I, you mentioned making a comment in sacrament meeting. Every time I do that, it's because I feel like the Spirit's telling me, get up and say this. And in my mind, I'm going, nobody wants to hear from me again. <laughs> or I do that too often. Bishop Reamer didn't do it as often. And I, you know, so you know, maybe I should not do that. Um, but I think the one thing I've bring that I've learned is I try my best to do what the spirit tells me to do, even if it's hard to do. And even if I don't understand why I remember being young, maybe eight years old and reading the book of Mormon, trying to read the book of Mormon and didn't get very far. But I remember being impressed with Nephi being led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand the things he would do. And I told myself at that young age, I want to be like that. I want to be Mm -hmm. like, even if I don't know why I want to do it. And I'm not at all saying I'm perfect at that. I have Mm -hmm. plenty of things that I think I'm probably missing or, or chicken out, you know, and don't do the thing. Uh, that's part of how we all learn. But in accepting the call to serve as a bishop, that's the one part, because I didn't feel qualified or, you know, good enough or whatever you would think to, to do that. But I thought, I'll do, I'll do what the Spirit asks me to do. That I can be confident in. And um, confident without being perfect. But I know I can do things that, that I don't know where it's leading or, or why it's the case. And I've had that happen where I get up and say a specific thing in sacrament meeting and then somebody says, I w- you didn't know it, but I was sitting in the pew there weeping because of something in my life. And what you stood up and said was meant exactly for me. And if it's... I mean, if, if that's the way the Lord wants to answer somebody's prayer is a certain message or a certain thought. Um, I don't need to understand the whole context or all of that if I can just try to respond to what he's trying to do. So I, I wish I were better at that, but it's something I've tried to work at my whole life. I've used it every, every business related thing I've ever done. I don't make decisions until it feels like I'm being guided, unless it's something that feels like it just doesn't need that. But um, sometimes it leads you to act in ways you don't know why you're acting, and sometimes it leads you to not act in ways that you logically think I probably should, and, mm-hmm. and it says, no, hold on. And people can be waiting on a decision for days and days or weeks or months, and it's still telling you, no, hold on, don't act. And so um, that's that's the thing that I, I am constantly trying to get better at and struggle with, but I... I, I have confidence beyond myself in that, just like Nephi, if the Lord wants to get something done and somebody will do what he's trying to tell him to do, he'll open the door. He'll make things work. And, and he knows why we're being led that way. And so that's good enough, right? I don't, I don't want to be the person who's a, a disciple that says, all right, show me the entire plan. 
and why it's that way and show me all the future and then I'll go do what you tell me to do. Mm. I'd rather just sit. I don't know the answer, but I'm trying to follow where I'm being led to do. That is so great. Thank you. I appreciate that. He's been like that. that ever since I've known him. That is really neat. He's yeah. always been like that. I love that. And I really, that's a great answer to the question because you do bring that influence to our ward as our bishop. You know, it changes how, I I don't know, probably things, plenty of things that I don't know about, but um, it is inspiring and comforting, I think, to feel like the bishop of our ward cares the most about following the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, Bishop and Sister Penrod, we're super grateful that you were willing to spend your time yeah. and come talk to us. And I feel like this is just like, I'm, I'm so happy right now because I just think this has the potential to just not only help people get to know other people in the ward, but I just feel like these types of conversations about like the, the meaty stuff of life is inspiring for me. And I hope that other people in the ward can get some good things out of this as well. And I'm sure that they will if they if they listen to the conversation. So thanks a lot for coming. Yeah, thank you for doing this. We're excited to listen to everything. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for being the guinea pigs. You guys are brave. (laughs) Awesome for doing that. And I think everybody will have things to learn from you. So we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much.